here on the panel, RNZ National. Mike Williams and Cindy Mitchin are with me today. And today, more than 5,000 athletes from 72 nations filled the stadium in Birmingham for the opening of the ceremonies, opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Highlights of the night included a performance involving a giant mechanical bull, songs from Duran Duran, and a speech from the Prince of Wales. It throws off those chains and goes on a rampage. New Zealand! Well, New Zealand have never missed a Commonwealth Games, and they have hosted three of them too. It now gives me the greatest pleasure to declare the 22nd Commonwealth Games open. That audio coming from Sky Sports NZ, which is broadcasting the games. And I caught up with a worker at Reflex Bar in Birmingham who was already seeing more people out and about as visitors flock to the city. Yeah, we've been getting, we've been really busy over the past couple of days surrounding through the Commonwealth Games. We've had a lot of people interested in like what we have to offer because we are an 80s, 90s party bar. Um, so a lot of people really like the vibe here. Oh, very, very cool. And um, for those who haven't been to Birmingham ever before, um, is it a good place to come and visit? Yeah, it's a great place to come and visit. There's a lot of things to do. There's a lot of tourist attractions. There's a lot of good clubs, especially on Broad Street. Someone who knows all about the hype of the Commonwealth Games is Janie Hudgel, who won gold in the women's 800-metre freestyle during the 1974 Games in Christchurch and is also president of Swimming in New Zealand. Janie, it's lovely to have you on the panel today. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Give us an inkling of what it's like to go out there on the world stage like that. Well, are you talking about the um, opening ceremony or the actual swimming? It, well, it, both, actually. You know, the hype of the ceremony and then getting ready for your uh, actual uh, performance. Exactly. Well, I know that our swimmers over there, unfortunately, didn't get to go in the in the um, opening ceremony because uh, they're all swimming first up yeah. this evening, actually, our time. So that's exciting for them. But back in 74, I couldn't wait to get out there. <laughs> we didn't we didn't want to stay home. So we went to the opening ceremony in Christchurch. It was stinking hot, one of those wonderful Norwester 30-plus degree days. And it was just such an electric atmosphere. And um, I think it just really fired us up for the events, actually. And then, of course, to get come down from there and just settle down and get ready for the events the next day onwards was, um, you know, it was an exciting time. I think uh, having it in New Zealand was just wonderful. And you really mm. felt that the crowd was with us in every race, you know. Yeah, and Wonderful. there'll be many listeners this afternoon, Janie, who recall your uh, women's 800-metre freestyle gold win at the 74 uh, Games in Croatia. There are so many memories that I can personally recall from those particular games. Can I just ask you, though, because it really fascinates me, you were in the Olympic Games in Munich. Was this the Games that Mark Spitz was in as well? Yes, it was. It was. And Shane Gould, of course, yeah. who was uh, an incredible swimmer back then. And yeah, Mark actually, um, he, he was incredible to watch. But uh, in the warm up one day, he actually touched my foot. So I was quite excited about that. <laughs> 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 That's as far as he got, though. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking of that pressure in the performance. I mean, that that has been an issue over the yeah. year in terms of uh, just the the mental aptitude that one needs, particularly in this high pressure environment. Because I was reading back in. You had a really bad year in 1973. You didn't swim well at the trials at the Nationals. You didn't even get a placing. And here you were, 1974. That's right. Well, the, the Games trials, in fact, you're quite correct. I swam terribly. And uh, I, I was, in fact, picked for the Games, but only for the 100 metres freestyle mm. because they needed some for the, someone for the relays. And so my favourite events, the 400 and 800, I wasn't actually picked initially, but I had to prove myself through the swim camp that we had leading up to the Games. And I did that, and I ended up going in actually all the freestyle events, the 1, 2, 4, and 8, and the two relays. So I had a full schedule, but uh, I was just so excited to be there and, and to be able to prove I was I was worthy of being in that team. Janie, we have a panel with us, both Cindy and Mike. Let's bring them in. They might want a thought or offer a question or what have you. Cindy. Uh, hi, Janie. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So do you think the Commonwealth Games are, are getting political? And this article that, that we've been reading, they were saying that Birmingham was really celebrating its cultural diversity and tolerance, and yet I think it's 35 Commonwealth countries, homosexuality is still a criminal offence punishable by death, whipping, etc. Is there, is there any sense of political flavour there at the moment? Well, uh, of course I'm not there, and oh. um, I no, <laughs> I'm in Auckland, <laughs> but, um, if, you know, I don't know. All I know is that uh, the competitors will be there to, to swim, run, jump, mm. and whatever they're doing the best they can, and they will be putting all that out of their minds, I would think. I mean, I'm sure that there are always political issues going on and uh, things we when, need to be aware of. But... Are, we, are we talking to Janie Parkhouse as was? Yes, that's right, Mike. Wow. Yes. Yeah, wow, <laughs> you're blowing Mike's I mind. I have got it. You blew the cover. Yeah. <laughs> Do you recall the Oh, I recall that. Yeah, that was a great word. Well done. Well, thank you, Mike. <laughs> I find it hard to – I fuzzily remember it, but yes. <laughs> You got a uh, question there, Mike? No, no. The no, I need to you're just me. too blown away. Gosh Almighty! Well, <laughs> yeah. I've got a question for you because I want to know um, what 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 I do know, um, Janie, is that we have a very formidable and very strong swimming team this year. Can yeah. you give us a heads up on who might be candidates for uh, medals, and how do you think, in general, our swimmers will do this year? Well, I I believe they'll do really well. Um, they've had the world champs recently and they've come on from there and they all swam extremely well lots of PBs and uh, of course we've got Lewis Clairbert Erica yeah. Fairweather uh, who are standouts but I think Erica's got a tough job you know she's got uh, Ariana Titmus and Summer McIntosh the 15 year old Canadian Ariana Titmus, an extraordinary yes. swimmer oh. and extraordinary well yeah. both those girls have gone under 4 minutes for the 400 so <laughs> Uh, Erica, that if she gets down to her 402 from Tokyo, she'll be right there in the hunt. And, you know, as I have proven, it, you just have to be in that final and anything can happen. I think Lewis is obviously a really top contender for a gold or silver in that 400 IM. Andrew Jeffcoat, the 1500 backstroke, he's really ranked about third, I think, in those events. 
And then Eve Thomas, who's swimming my yes. favourite event, the 800 free, and she's I think she's currently fourth ranked in the Commonwealth. Um, but that's the, not her there, best. I think the 1500 metre is her best, isn't it? But that's not um, available on no. offer at Commonwealth. Yes, and I believe that's right. But her 800 is improving all the time. Right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be very exciting. And there's a whole team, obviously, of the para swimmers there and being all integrated in amongst the able-bodied swimming is going to be wonderful to watch. So we wish them all the very, very best. I, I'm, I'm excited yeah. for them all, you know. That 1974 Commonwealth Back Games. to 74, Janie. Yep. <laughs> Back to 74. <laughs> He's not going to let this Why go. <clears throat> it was amazing. One of those races cost me $120, and I'll tell you what happened very quickly. I had, okay. <laughs> I had taken apart the gearbox of my Morris Minor to fix it, and I'd laid it out in in the driveway, and it was a very complicated set of things, and I, I could see the bit that needed replacing. Anyhow, I went inside to watch a race, and it was the opening race, and it was won by an outsider who was a Kiwi. I can't remember his name. Um, someone will. And it was very exciting. When I went outside, my mother had gathered up all the parts and put them in a box. <laughs> and I had no idea how to put them together. Oh, so I no. had Mom. to take them to Hastings Motors and pay somebody to put it back together. <laughs> um, Janie, it's really lovely to, lovely to have you on the panel uh, and um, sharing both these thoughts and your opinions uh, with you this afternoon. And people are sort of texting in about uh, how they remember uh, Janie Parkhouse winning that 800 metre. Can I ask you something just finally when you look at the likes of Ariana Titmus who is just something of a swimmer I mean quite extraordinary um what do you see uh and you when you compare your younger self to those days well I think things have changed a lot obviously uh training wise and you know techniques have changed and um, the togs have changed. Uh, there's a lot of improvements and, and start blocks and things. But uh, I, I believe now it's a professional era, and that's the big difference for me. Oh, I, I was a it was purely amateur when I swam. There was no money. We were not allowed to advertise products. We did nothing like that. So pretty much when you when you finished your swimming or you were you know, getting towards the end of your schooling and thinking about starting work, you, you couldn't really continue swimming as, as a full-time activity. Which So I think that's the main difference. You know, it's, uh, it's, okay. it's just real professional now, and that's wonderful. That's why we're seeing these people go on till their 30s and things, so it's great. Kia ora, Janie. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Uh, that is Janie Hudgel there, uh, who won gold in the women's 800 metre in 1974 in Christchurch. And record, record, gosh, I can recall Cindy Dick Taylor's uh, 10,000 metre Dick trial. Dick Taylor, you that know, was it. That, yeah, yeah. That's what cost me $120. That's the one. So he's um, an after-dinner speaker now. Is he? And he, he, I have heard him speak on several occasions, and he's fantastic. He just has this whole backstory about training with Arthur Lydiard and... You know, well, he's a star. Yeah, just Amps, a star. absolutely yeah. And that, that, great. That, that, that images in my mind, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hands up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Eighteen past for the panel. Mike Williams and Cindy Michener with me today. Health Minister Andrew Little has announced a new initiative to get more boots on the ground in public mental health services that have been struggling with a rising tide of psychological distress. 
Hundreds of counsellors who work in settings like schools, private clinics, helplines will be able to, for the first time, to work in clinical roles in public mental health services. It's a new accreditation pathway that will allow around 3,000 counsellors to apply for work in mental health services if they meet the right criteria. Christine McFarlane is president of the New Zealand Association of Counsellors. Christine, kia ora. Kia ora. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. We have been discussing this for some months now, the urgency around mental health. Um, in your view, how urgent is the issue? What are your members uh, been telling you? Oh, it's very urgent and it's been um, increasing over the last few years, and particularly with the COVID anxiety increase and job loss, um, uncertainty, more people are seeking help. So the counsellors will um, working in places like primary primary and mental, primary and community settings like the GP services, medical centres, but they'll also be able to be in um, what was known as our DHBs in the acute, more acute end and in the mid, mid-range, so moderate um, therapy care, which will be really mm-hmm. helpful. Before I jump over to the panellists, in, in practical terms, how are these so-named innovative measures going to help practically? So practically, at the moment, we have an, an early or um, brief intervention service for people, which is just really three to six sessions that people will go to health improvement health improvement practitioners. Okay. But some people will need longer care. So this is where the counsellors will fit in. So they'll have longer therapy and be able to work with them to to ensure that things like depression and anxiety are um, treated appropriately. Okay, so, yeah, from three to six sessions to uh, a lot longer. Shall we start with you, Mike Williams? Yeah, I think, look, this is a very good bit of lateral thinking by Andrew Little, in my view. Uh, These are people who have some of the skills that are required uh, in a mental health crisis, which we appear to be adding to other crises. Um, It's a damn good idea. When I first heard it on the radio... Though um, I mistook it for city councillors, and I thought that was an extremely bad idea. But, um, <laughs> Would be odd. <laughs> this is a good idea, and I hope you're offered extra training if that's what's required. Okay, so a tick from Mike. Cindy, your thoughts? Uh, well, I think um, Mike's actually sort of hit my question as well. He, when he said some of the skills, mm-hmm. I guess what I'm really interested in, they're not clinicians, it isn't you know, something that anybody can do, is, is the pathway for these people, is, is it robust? Yeah. Are we mm-hmm. actually providing a quality service or are we just throwing more boots on the ground? I mean, it isn't something that, you know, you, you, you want to just, you know, get a franchise and there? do it. Is uh. the quality there? Yeah, can I answer that one? Of course. Yeah, so um, the the co-accreditation process means that the councillors in our association, so it's NZAC councillors, are having to have a minimum qualification of a Bachelor of Counselling or a Masters of Counselling. They have had to be practising for a minimum of 18 months post-qualification. And... Um, and on top of that, they, they also have to do ongoing professional development in certain competencies. One of the, um, the competencies they, they have to do is a cultural competency. 
um, but, but other competencies around specialist areas. So if, if, if it was me who was going into work in a child's adolescent mental health service, I would be focusing my extra competency around child and adolescent um, concerns. So the very well, well qualified, experienced counsellors, not the counsellors that are just coming out of the um, education programme, because we recognise we need to have a lot more experience to be working in a, in a complex area. Right. Just finally, before you go, Christine, are, are you, you know, it's been a, as I said at the start, uh, an ongoing issue, the issue around mental health in Aotearoa. Um, and, and anecdotally, um, you know, I have friends who, uh, you know, need these types of services, colleagues. Are you surprised or amazed at just how much mental health services is needed in this country right now? Yes, well, it has, it has just, it's increasing globally, actually. So we knew that anxiety and depression were going to be increasing globally before the pandemic. And the pandemic has just made that, it, made it um, accelerate. Very interesting. Christine, thank you for that. Christine McFarlane, President of the New Zealand Association of Counsellors. But there is, there is a real need out there, isn't there, Mike? There is. Um, my friend has a son in Australia who has a severe mental health problem. And over there, um, he was told he could see a psychiatrist in 18 months. And I also heard on Radio New Zealand News at 3 o'clock, Olana Zelenska, who's the wife of the president of Ukraine, saying they've got severe mental health problems too. I think it's across the board. I don't think it's just to do with war in Ukraine. I think it's a lot to do with COVID. Okay. And also people are actually uh, happier to talk about it now, to acknowledge it. There's been yeah, so much more true. publicity around it. You know, your, your, your John Kerwins, etc. You're able to speak about it. Yeah, yep. yeah. Okay. Now, um, we are deep in winter. Many of us try in various ways to stay warm. Uh, with this incessant rain and cold, it can be a challenge, which is why an item on curtains caught my attention, saying that curtains that don't reach the floor continuously drop cold air to the space underneath. I... Um, asked you to get in touch and give us your winter tips. That includes here in the studio. I've got a scarf on. As uh, Mike, you can see Cindy. With us right now is Kathy. Kathy, kia ora. Oh, kia ora. How are you? I'm very well, but I need to get warm. Um, do, <laughs> you have, do you have a winter tip for me? Well, yes, I moved into a little old house in Methven, and I, could, I was going to get double glazing on the windows, but it was going to be after winter. And so my son was over. He lives in Minneapolis, which, as you know, is a hugely cold place. And he told me about this plastic. And you buy it in rolls, like it's, it's special plastic. And you put double-sided tape, which they provide, around the outside of the window frame. And the plastic goes over the top. And so you get a layer of air between the plastic and the window. And if, if it's wrinkly, you just flick over it with a hairdryer and it goes completely transparent. So it doesn't oh, yes. make any difference to the light coming in. And, and the amount I was paying out in power immediately went down by half. And no. Much warmer. Wow. Yes. Now, people don't know about it. It's just I just went into Mitre 10 and bought it. This and is so, an amazing tip. Tell me what the product, how much did you pay for it? I paid $15 a roll. It cost about $150 to do my whole three-bedroom house. No, no, I reckon that's pretty good. Cindy's and, not convinced. <laughs> no, Cindy's well, not convinced. Go, go and have a try of it. I mean, 
it's cheap. Do one room. If you've got a back room that hasn't got, you know, warm, isn't warm, put it in the back room. Well, we've we've got it's, shutters it's, and blinds, not no, curtains. It doesn't, it's not the same. Doesn't no. look the same. No, yeah. I, well, I know. No. But I mean, look, my yeah. hack for winter warmth is called a singlet. Yeah. Have you got a singlet? Oh, Have you got a singlet school. on? You sound yeah, like this, yeah. This, yeah, this stuff works. It's not ordinary plastic. It's special plastic. You go in there and you say, "I want the plastic that is going to insulate my windows." Are you and serious? Give it to you. It drop by How half. How do you open your window? Drop by half. It's not the plastic. It's not the plastic yeah. that's working. It's the gap. It's the gap. That's it's right, the, Mike. It's the gap. It's the it's the air that goes between the window glass. And the plastic that forms the insulation barrier. Yep. Yeah, people out are out from the window. People are I'm saying I've I've used this uh, it's plastic double glazing a three M product and it uh, it does work. Hey, Kathy, thank you for that. And with us now okay. we have uh, Paul on the line. Paul, welcome. Oh, oh welcome, Wallace. Welcome, panel. Pleasure Hi. to have you. What's um, what's your tip? I'm, I'm in Southland, so we have the reputation for having cold weather down here, which is a load of baloney, I must tell you. But, exactly. Um, yeah, my tip is for comfort, really, because I've got a heat pump, put the heat pump on, and my feet still don't get that warm, and the, the bill can be quite high. So I started, this is about three years ago, just fill up a juice bottle, one of those big three-litre juice bottles, warm water, and use that as a footrest. And suddenly <laughs> you can turn the heat pump off, because it doesn't just warm your feet. Your feet is like a radiator. You're warming your blood, and your blood, it's just starting to cool down by the time it gets to your feet. And so it gives your whole blood system a boost, and you're warm again. All so, right, so socks off, boil the no, jug. No, 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 shoes off, shoes off, but socks on. And don't and, move, obviously, because yeah. you've got your feet on a, <laughs> a a new version of a hottie. You know, that's, that's right. not going to be right. all that easy if you're cooking dinner. Just, you know, call me old-fashioned, <laughs> no, but, but hey. You're watching The Chase or uh, Grand Designs or well, you're, whatever. Yeah, you're, working. you're working at a computer or sitting yeah. watching TV. But like your last, your last guest was talking about the air gap. Well, be careful. When you fill the, the bottle up, make sure there isn't an air gap because otherwise you're not going to feel the warmth of the water. Paul, you, you, you're a legend. Where How you long from? does it last, Paul? Yeah. How long does the water stay warm? Oh, are you sitting there right at the end of the chase and you've got your feet on cold water? <laughs> oh, look, well, what you do, when, when I'm at the back, just go to the bed and it's still warm the next day, would you believe? It keeps the, it's called a hottie, it's, Paul. It's a, it's a, no, a hottie doesn't work because it's only a litre of water. Three litres oh. is a critical mass and it warms up the whole room. Well, Cindy, listen to the experts. Uh, <laughs> it's hey, Cirque du Soleil coming on here. Paul, and thank you for listening to the panel. I appreciate it. Um, Cheers. A lot of response. Gosh, Tracy says, I too used the plastic window covers in New Hampshire, which gets very cold. It worked great. But we also had storm windows that fitted on the outside. In summer, you took, the, uh, you took them off and replaced with mosquito nets. Uh, I empathise with those struggling to get warm. Despite a heat pump, good insulation and multi-layers of merino, I always felt cold until, until I bought a pair of Angora merino socks and a merino beanie. Uh, and uh, the possum ones are just as good as well. So well, there we have it. Well, don't they say that you lose 90% of your body heat out of your 
uh, from your head and your feet. I don't. I got to fact check the head one. I'm not quite <laughs> no. sure if that's actually right. I think okay. Well, someone will know. Someone Maybe it's know. not ninety percent, but it's seventy percent or something of your uh, of the heat loss from your body is from your head, your right. extremities. You're on the panel, and thanks for your responses. Uh, we are with Cindy Michener and Mike Williams this afternoon.